that right there, the brand new intro music to chill in with JR and Blair. I I am loving the new intro music, JR. Well, uh, we have uh, my buddy Seth to thank for that. Uh, a great follow on Blue Jays Twitter. Um, I thought um, he actually he sent a different song in a group chat that I'm in with him and I was grooving to it. And um, I asked him if we could use that for this podcast. And there was a copyright issue with it. So he, he made a new song. It's fucking awesome um sick vibes uh so thank you to steph and uh um yeah i'm digging this song i can groove to this all day long it is it's a bit of a banger like i was bopping my head to it listening like yeah i can get behind this and it's it just exploded with how much i was enjoying it i told him i told him the other day that uh, i went for a run and i was listening to it for the first uh well minute and a half or so of my run and i said i would if there is a, a wall that magically appeared on the sidewalk, I would run through it right now, grooving to the song. So <laughs> it pumps me up. I'm so happy that it's our new intro song. So big thanks to Seth again for putting that together. Um, I love it. Yeah, thank you very much, Seth. And I mean, we are back for the monthly, your favorite monthly AEW podcast. I should say that because, you know, there's not many that just pop in once a month. So I'm just going to assume that we are your favorite because yeah. what is not to love with me and you banging off our monthly <laughs> AEW look at? So um, this month, I mean, there isn't tons to unpack, but what we do have to talk about is big because I mean, this is the lead up to revolution stings final match. That is the, the, the big meat of this week's episode. And we will get to that, but we're going to start off with some transaction talk um, before. I mean, last month we talked heavily about uh, Okada about, I think we talked about a bit about Mercedes as well. And yep. then a few weeks ago, Tony Khan has a big announcement and that big announcement is Big business in Boston. And look, it is very easy to speculate who it might be. And I feel like <laughs> it is a very safe bet to bang you have, that. Yes. I, you know what? I think at this point, it's pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, it would be actually hilarious if it wasn't <laughs> at this point. But yeah, pretty much the, the update on Mercedes from when we last recorded was... I think what we talked about last month was that it was it was leaning more in the AT or AEW mm -hmm. favor. Um, and now we've essentially had it as confirmed as you possibly can get it without it actually being confirmed. And I we had talked a little bit and I'm glad they're doing like the first dance tease with this where yeah. you, you don't come right out and say it. So you leave just a little bit of doubt. And like, I think a big part of that initial pop for CM Punk at, for first dance was that and I saw people on the timeline that day being like, I'll just, I'll believe it when I see it, but I'm not getting my hopes up. And I just think it makes that pop in the kind of just natural emotional response that you have to it a little bit more if you just don't know for sure. Um, and so, yeah, it's March, uh, March 13th, uh, TD Garden in Boston, big business. So that's the latest development or since we last recorded. The other thing too, that we can just quickly mention here is that, um, AEW signed Jennifer Pepperman is her name as vice president of content development. I don't know a ton about her background, but in some of the little things that I've been picking up, essentially the, I think the big takeaway for AEW fans is that she was heavily involved in Mercedes. Sasha Banks is creative in mm -hmm. WWE. So just another, again, as close as you can get to a confirmation that she's coming in. It's just, it's so cool that it's actually happening 
you know, we've, we've got last couple episodes, we've gone over the timeline of all these different teases of when she might come in and all the speculation. It's like, we're so close to it. And as you said off the top, like revolution feels like the biggest show they've done since all in, I think. Yeah. And now we have this momentum, uh, momentum building with AEW where we got revolution. Then we've got the big business show to look forward to pretty soon after that. And it just feels like AEW is almost running on all cylinders at this point. And there's, but they're bringing in free agents. We'll talk about Okada in a second too. Osprey is going to make his full-time debut this mm-hmm. Wednesday. We're recording this on Monday night. So it just feels like there's so much momentum behind AEW right now. When you look at, let's say the pat, let's say since the new year, since world's end has finished up, I have been so happy with the product that they have been bringing out on a weekly basis. Like, it has kept me engaged. They have had incredible matches. And you compare right now to like right before full gear. And I was hyped up for full gear, but my level of excitement for AEW right now has blown right past that. Like I was leading up to full gear. I was, you know, I was watching, but like there was a bit of a disconnect, I feel, with just how much like I enjoyed it. But like there's things that they could have done better. But right now with what they're doing, like they've improved with having more segments featuring women wrestlers, whether it's matches or interviews, you're seeing, you know, this past week, two matches on dynamite, two matches on collision, you're getting the backstage segments, So you're getting more of that. You're getting an incredible main event picture with Samoa Joe swerve and Hangman, And then you, you look at everything else. Christian, you've got Daniel Garcia coming up. You have the Orange Cassidy storyline. I mean, that match between Orange Cassidy and Matt Taven two weeks ago was fucking fantastic. So, like, everything they've doing right now, have they've been firing on all cylinders, and I've loved what they've been doing. Heading into big business, I mean, 100% I'm, I'm banking on it being Sasha Banks. There's no, or Mercedes Monet. There's no reason to think otherwise. But I would love it if it was just like all out from all out from a few years ago where you got the Mm -hmm. double debut. Yeah. And I think that would be incredible for Boston to have both Kazuchika Okada and Mercedes Monet debuting on the same night. Well, they both have the money gimmick, right? So it Mm -hmm. it could fit in thematically in both of those ways. Uh, The end of the Battle of the Valley show last year was ended with Okada and Mercedes both holding up their respective uh, titles there. So I think I think that's in play. Mm-hmm. If I was betting, and I hope there is a prop bet on this, I would bet on him being... Remember how uh, TK did the Will Ospreay tease before Full Gear of, you know, we have a free agent that's going to debut that's one of the most respected names in wrestling. I could see him putting out a tweet like that Maybe on Dynamite do a similar tease and then Okada's debut is at Revolution as like a surprise, you know, in a way to kind of, I think they've successfully done that in the past too, where they've teased these free agent signings. I think it does help their business and gets people to, to buy the pay-per-view. Um, the, um, they did that with Christian Cage way back when too. So that if I had to lean one way or the other, I think that's how they'll do it. But a double debut um, that would be uh, uh, fantastic too. And let's we can talk a little bit o- about Okada since you brought him up too. Mm-hmm. We t- we talked about him a ton in the last episode. Yep. Really, the biggest development is that um, Fightful Select has reported that essentially, barring a catastrophe, it's expected that Okada is going to show up um, for AEW. 
So AEW wins again. The Sting meme is just like keeps winning. Um, I love it. And I guess one new thing, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Um, there's been some discourse, um, especially amongst, you know, your um, hardcore New Japan fans about how Okada is finishing up in New Japan. Mm-hmm. So he had um, earlier this month, uh, I think it was at New Beginnings, him and uh, Tanahashi had a match. I-, I watched that. I thought it was good. Nowhere near the level of those two in their, you know, in their prime yeah. of, of their feud. But it was a good match, told a good story. It was emotional. Um, but then his last two dates were multi-man tag matches. He mm-hmm. goes over. Um, so I think from a New Japan fan's perspective, it's like this guy isn't putting any of the young guys over. We talked about in our last episode about how the onus is really on New Japan and Gato now to make these new stars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had an opportunity potentially to use Okada as a springboard to one of those guys, like pick, uh, you know, Yoda Suji or Shota Umino or someone. And could he do, um, you know, business on the way out? And they didn't. It didn't happen. And I don't know if that was an Okada decision, if it was a New Japan office decision or what it is. But do you have kind of any thoughts about how Okada finished up in New Japan as he's hopefully heading towards AEW within the next week or a couple of weeks, depending on when he debuts? I was very surprised that he didn't really elevate anyone on the way out because I think even the plan with the never six-man titles, if that's that's what they hold, yeah. Um, was they didn't even drop it. He's just being replaced, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to put someone else in that position. So, like, I mean, it's it's a little surprising. But, I mean, if, you know, if he's going to come out with a that doesn't work for me, brother, and run with that, then, I mean, like, what are you going to do? I mean, your other option is he doesn't show up and then what you know and that is a key thing to keep in mind like he he was freelancing on these shows like he didn't his contract had expired Mm -hmm. so he had the leverage and it'll be interesting to see how that might play out in AEW. i don't again i don't you know it's all speculation like how is he going to be in terms of uh, you know doing business in AEW? and is like i think that might be too premature to kind of speculate but it's something just maybe to keep in mind in terms of how he finished up there Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think part of it too, is that in this con probably took new Japan by surprise and, and they book a lot of their shows pretty far in advance. And I remember during wrestle kingdom word hadn't come out yet that he was leaving. Cause mm-hmm. when they, when he had that match with Brian Danielson, it wasn't like, you know, this is Okada's last wrestle kingdom. It was, I think the assumption at that point was that he would probably resign and it came out after that. So I think they have a lot of their stuff booked in advance and this is maybe something to put them on their heels a little bit, mm-hmm. but it isn't, in, it isn't interesting to see. It could just be a, Hey, we want to show respect to this guy on the way out. Yeah. I think it was, it was somewhat similar with um, Nakamura. Um, Cause I think, wasn't he intercontinental champion when he, when he left and I don't think he put anyone over. I think he just, uh, I could be mistaken, but I think he might've just um, kind of put the belt or relinquished the belt too yeah. without over so maybe this is more of like a pattern than it is you know an exception in terms of just treating a guy that's a legend that has legendary status and just kind of letting him go out on on his own terms or whatever Mm -hmm. but from a new japan side you you've got to make new guys um and they're losing will osprey and okada essentially at the same time so it, it is a potential pretty big missed opportunity to not be able to just say okay okada versus whoever 
whatever young guy you want to strap the rocket to, it's, it, it is a missed opportunity. And whatever the reason for that happening is, um, haven't seen a ton of reporting on it. I had the super J cast, uh, guys have talked a little bit about, um, Okada not wanting to do it, um, put, put guys over. And I've seen some speculation towards that end and maybe a little bit of resentment from, from the younger guys on the roster and that there's a bit of a disconnect between the, the senior members of the roster and the younger guys. But I think you also, you just inherently get that in almost any locker room that, you, you know, you have some resentment towards the guys that have the top spots and you want those spots. And so I think that's all kind of a natural course of um, a regular wrestling locker room too. Mm-hmm. Um, from my point of view, there wasn't much else for transactions this month. The, the two others that I can think of were Queen Aminata and Brian Keith, both becoming all elite, which I think are two fantastic additions to their respective divisions. I mean, Brian Keith has shown consistently every time he's on dynamite or rampage collision that like. He's very talented and he is a welcome addition to the product. And I think the same goes with Queen Aminata. Um, great look, great in the ring. And it's more fresh blood for that division, which is always helpful. You know, it's really kind of, you're seeing we're at the point now where like some of those original contracts for AEW wrestlers, like those are going to be coming up soon. So when you're looking at maybe your Penelope Fords or someone like that, who we haven't seen maybe this is the next sort of like hey okay your contract's done thanks we're going in a different direction because we saw it earlier with the bunny she kind of pieced out after her contract was done you know decided to go do her own thing which hey by all means but i'm loving both these signings i think they're great um i i will go off on a tangent about brian keith um right away but i'll give you a chance to uh <laughs> give any thoughts on those two Oh, you give the tease. Now I'm looking forward to this tangent. Um, I think both really good signings too. And that just the natural course of contract expiring, bringing in like every wrestling promotion, every wrestling territory, it's healthy for that. It, 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 it might suck for the people who are leaving if they don't have something lined up next. But if you want to keep your roster fresh, like, you know, that's just, it's just natural for it to happen. And I think it's a good thing. And I really like how they used Brian Keith's um, all elite um, signing and announcement mm-hmm. as part of like a leverage and an angle as part of the Eddie Kingston and Brian Danielson story. And I think there's the booking of that feud has been so brilliant, um, I think. And so I like how they kind of wove it into that story. Two really good signings. Queen Aminata's gotten more matches, I think, on a weekly basis in AEW since, you know, more than anyone since the turn of the new year. Mm-hmm. And she looks great. A friend of the show, King Kong Fundy, got me onto her um, first. I remember he was, you know, uh, messaging uh, me and just saying, like, you got to keep an eye out on this uh, this wrestler. And so I've been super impressed. But, I mean, just two solid signings, like, of yeah. course. Uh, no brainers. So this past week on Collision, we had Brian Keith versus Malachi Black. Now... I think it is very well known the displeasure that Malachi Black has in regards to how he's being used, doesn't want to put anybody over. At this point, when you're looking at it, the difficulty you're having with Malachi Black, like I understand you want to put him out there, but in the long run, he's not going to be with the company when his contract expires. 
in the same vein that like Miro is nowhere to be found. Like if Malachi Black wants to have a match, then like, hey, you might have to lose. So Brian Keith will be there in the long run. Malachi Black will not. I had no problem if Brian Keith would have went over on Malachi Black. And I understand that they are at two very different levels when it comes to popularity, experience, all this stuff. But when you are as difficult as Malachi Black is being, then what are we even doing here? Like, just don't even bother. That's how I'm feeling with it. And I, you could tell as soon as the match was announced that Brian Keith was going to lose. But like, for in my mind, he 100%, you should have just let him run with it. I'm with you, man. You're not going to get an argument for me. I think it could have been like a Chris Jericho action Andretti moment. Mm-hmm. I guess the counter argument is if you're not ready to kind of really go with Brian Keith, then maybe the timing isn't right to like, you, you almost want a time. And, you know, the action Andretti thing with Jericho it was a great kind of singular moment. It's a memorable moment in dynamite history. Mm-hmm. But they also weren't ready to really push Andretti at that point. He wasn't ready for it. There wasn't like a spot for him to to fill in. And so, you know, it, it was it's this memorable moment that put him on the map, but and elevated him to some extent. And I think you, I, I'm with you. Like I would have done that with Brian Keith too. Yeah. But I think maybe the timing of it could just be a little bit better in terms of okay, when we're actually ready to give this guy a run to the TNT title or to whatever, that's the time to give him a big win over an established guy. But I'm with you too. We, we talked about that last month. There's, I think, a group of guys on this roster. Um, some of them are even using it as part of like their storyline. Ricky Starks to some extent, Wardlow to some extent. Um, and there's others too that kind of seem like they might be leaning to leaving the company when their contract expires. And we don't need to rehash that here, but no. like the idea behind you know, these guys can go and it's fine mm-hmm. and you don't lose anything. Malachi Black, you know, leaving might honestly like open up a little bit more spotlight to a Brody King who feels like mm-hmm. he's a more permanent long-term fixture for AEW and he can kind of be the centerpiece and him and Julia Hart can be, you know, what you kind of build the House of Black around or you might want to rebrand it or whatever. But Malachi leaving, Miro leaving, Wardlow leaving, Ricky Starks, whoever, like there's there's a sense of loss there, but it's not something that's going to really hurt the company anyway. And I'm with you, man. I would have put Brian Keith over. It would have been fun. Exactly. Unexpected, but yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, it's to fully dive even more into it. It's very fruitless because it's just going to be me complaining that like, Hey, (laughs) you are getting opportunities, but like, what do you want? So, but um, I think that is it for, transaction talk there like we said there wasn't much but it is something that i think is very fun to do on a monthly basis because you are seeing people always brought in some people leaving so it's just absolutely and hey are there going to be bigger free agents this year than okada and mercedes jumping or signing a deal with aw like i it would be amazing if that somehow happens but we are on the cusp of I think a red hot run, like we talked about, there's all this momentum with AEW. Now they're going to be adding three huge stars. Osprey, we know for sure. Mercedes feels like it's for sure. Okada is maybe the one that has the most uh, mystery or unknown to it, but it feels like it's almost a for sure at this point too. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just thinking about all the different fantasy booking scenarios. And we talked about those in previous episodes. It's a lot, it's a fun time to be an AEW fan right now and just mm-hmm. kind of think of, 
kind of the long-term vision of what are all these different dream matches these these um, wrestlers can have in this company um so i mean earlier this year the rankings got brought back as well and this is a hot topic of discussion for many people some people love it lots of people hate it dave Meltzer gets confused by it regularly <laughs> so <laughs> When you're looking at the rankings, I feel like we're on the same page. We enjoy the rankings. We like having them, correct? Yes. Okay. So why is it so difficult for people to... Honestly... wrestling? <laughs> I don't get it, Blair. I honestly, I don't oh. understand it. And I even... Because I had messaged you before of like kind of wanting to run through our discussion of the rankings, uh, rankings through the lens of like let's think of all the crit possible criticisms yes. of it. And then like, but like, honestly, I was trying to think of criticisms and I know I put a couple of notes in our run sheet here, mm -hmm. but as I was thinking it through, I'm like, I honestly don't even really know like what's, what are the valid criticisms at this point? It, so I guess kind of big picture for me, let, let me mention a couple of things here yes. and then I'll kind of throw it to you just in kind of in general, what your thoughts are on the rankings. But to me, the benefit of rankings and I remember I sent this to, I'll, I'll bring them, I'll put them over again, but our, our buddy Mike King Kong Fundy and um, Ricky Hart, I'm in a group chat with those guys and love just tossing around AEW stuff with them. But I remember during the Continental Classic, I might've even mentioned it on here with you, that there was nothing that kind of cemented the justification for rankings than the Continental Classic, where you had every single match meant something and it was for a point system and you saw the rankings update like as you went. And as I was watching the Continental Classic and was like blown away with it, I, I love the, 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 the December run of AEW when that was happening was so good mm -hmm. in my opinion. And as I was watching, I was just thinking like they got to bring rankings back. Like it, it gives a narrative justification for every match that takes place on the show. And we'll talk about, and we'll go through shortly here, the matches, for revolution but almost all of them have included the rankings as part of the story and um i just think that validates everything and you know if you're expecting them to be perfect then they're never gonna work for you probably but if you can kind of accept them for what they are think of them as more of like uh it's they're just another way to tell stories mm -hmm. um and, and even if there's controversy to them, and we'll maybe talk about this later on, but I'll bring it up now too. Like the one kind of issue with the rankings that I had this month was, um, so uh, was with the Swerve and Hangman and Joe stuff. And it would have made way more sense to me if Hangman, the whole way that it played out, it would have made way more sense if Hangman was number one in the rankings instead of uh, Swerve. Mm -hmm. But even if if there's any kind of controversy around the ranking system, like to me, the criticisms of the rankings kind of expose you as not being like a sports fan in, in some way, because even with like the college football rankings, and so the way that that works after every week, Saturdays are when the college football games are. And then I think it's Sunday or Monday, the rankings of um, the, the seedings of the, the teams across the United States happen and there's always like discussion about okay well this team is 4-0 and this team is 4-0 like how do you decide which should be above and it's based on like difficulty of schedule and all that stuff but it, it just it leads to like a fun discussion of being like oh well that guy should be number one and he shouldn't be number three he should be four and like so even if there's like disagreement about it it can lead to some fun discussions and so 
Um, I'm just generally a big fan of it. I think for most of these major programs and revolution, it's kind of helped the build to it. And yeah, the criticisms to me just fall flat, but let me throw it to you just in terms of like big picture thoughts or if, if there's one or two things that kind of stand out to you of why you like them or yeah, kind of your thoughts on the rankings overall. Like, I think it's a great tool to add another level to the storyline wise because AEW, they do not like doing disqualifications. They do not like doing count outs. So that takes away a big part of how that they can continue telling stories, you know, like I am fully behind not having DQs. I'm all about that. But having the rankings in there, that allows them to use one more thing at their disposal. It may not be perfect, but this is professional wrestling. So right then and there, you have to suspend your disbelief or suspend your belief, whatever the saying is, just a little bit because we're watching grown men fake fight in a ring for all intents and purposes. So if we're going to get upset because these fake, the they're wrestling and the rankings aren't perfect. Well, it's wrestling. It's, it's, it blows my mind that it can be that controversial, that it is that big of an issue. Like use those rankings and mold them to however you need to fit the storyline. It's like, to me, it's almost like the same as like when people get upset about Meltzer's ratings because, Hey, it's just his opinion and he's allowed to do that. Well, this is their way of using that for a storyline. It's going to be their choice of how they want to present it. So, I mean, realistically, it doesn't affect us that much other than complaining about it. What is it going to do? Like, it's not like it's going to deter you go from tuning in on a weekly basis. It's not going to ruin the matches. It's just another tool for them to tell stories. Yeah. And I think that's the healthy way to look at it. You brought up Meltzer. Um, he, on his audio, I think it was the night that the rankings were brought back. <laughs> he had trouble he, with it. He he was struggling. He was really <laughs> struggling with it. And and I think he's someone who doesn't really pay attention to the sports world overall. No. But he was trying to make an argument in his discussion with Brian Alvarez that 2019 match results should count as part of the rankings. And to me, that's just so silly. Yeah. And it it's every every sport needs an arbitrary endpoint where you refresh ranking. So I know one of one of the criticisms of the rankings is that, oh, that well, they refresh at the beginning of the year every year, and then doesn't that negate what happens before? But every sports season ends and then restarts. Mm-hmm. When with the Raptors this season, like their record last year didn't count this year. So a- every sport needs a refresh and needs some kind of arbitrary point to, to do it. And so, and, and I think Meltzer was confused with, because he was trying to say, that sometimes they use previous records from previous years as part of the rankings and sometimes they don't. But what he was confusing, I think, is that sometimes on the lower third of the screen, they'll show what someone's record was in like their last 20 matches. That doesn't have to do with their rankings as part of the ranking system. They're just showing a statistic to show you how well they've done over the last four or five months. And so I think, yeah, he's just confused. Okay. He's an old man and he's Used, and like I can relate. <laughs> Jungle Boy was, you know, ninety-seven and sixteen, you know, but that's right. not counting this year. That is just for you to know, like this is his previous record from the last three years. That's right. In the same sense that, like, at the end of the year, the Toronto Raptors, after they're done, 
Well, the next year, their record starts off at zeros all across the board. And you will see that their career stats below that. So it's exactly like that. Yeah. But And ca- career stats are still relevant. Yeah. They're not like it's it's good to share that to help put a guy over or to tell the story of like the greater context of what's happening. But it it's different from the rankings. The rankings are something are something different. One other criticism is, you know, and maybe we haven't had actually in the past at revolution, they've done the face of the revolution ladder match, haven't they for a TNT title shot. So they haven't announced that yet. And maybe they will do one. And I know, I think in the past there's been criticisms with the rankings of like, well, they'll still do battle Royals and casino ladder matches and all this stuff to determine challengers. But to me, that's okay. Like it's Mm -hmm. that, that's another way that you could, as long as you don't overdo it too, too much, that's another way to provide this kind of special opportunity where you can bypass the rankings to get a title shot. And if you do it once in a while, it's, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think as long as you view it as it's a way to tell stories, it's a way to set up matches, it, it's a way to make you know a random match on collision or dynamite or whatever, feel like there's some kind of stakes to it. If it's someone who's ranked third and someone who's unranked, well, there's the story. The, if the guy who's unranked beats this guy, he's going to move up in the rankings. And it just gives a level of credibility and story to something that might otherwise not have much of one. And I honestly, it, I, it's, it's amusing to me how much rankings break people's brains. It, it's, it's entertaining for me to see even smart people not be able to understand uh, the utility of them. But I'm glad they're back. I, I think it's been a big boost to the January and February television to just have that as kind of a foundational piece of the promotion again. It's in a way, it also reminds me of the early years too, of when it first started off and the rankings were a big focus of that because they did kind of get away from that in the past year and a half, two years. So for them to bring it back, it's things have changed so much since 2019 that it is like a small little piece of that, that, I like having that around, even though it's very insignificant in the grand picture of things. Yeah, there is a level of nostalgia to it, yeah. which if, you, if you're if you a hardcore AEW fan and have been around since the beginning, there is there's an appeal to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have mailbag. We'll do mailbag and then we will get to our revolution preview. So I big, big shout out to our listeners, by the way, every single yeah. every single episode that we have done and called for mailbag questions, we have gotten multiple mailbag questions and they're all really good even if sometimes they're trolling us um i don't think we're getting trolled with any of them this week (laughs) uh but we've got i think three really good questions uh to run through here so we will start off from uh danny who is at mid awesome um he asked us who should be the one to dethrone christian cage for the tnt championship so i will let you take this one first First of all, Danny, thank you. That's a great question. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and this will bleed into a little bit of our discussion of Daniel Garcia and Christian Cage next month. I'm of two minds for this. In, in my head, kind of all along, I had assumed that they would just do Adam Copeland and Christian Cage again at Revolution, and that was the match I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was going to be, okay, Copeland's going to win the TNT championship. He got it with you know in uh at world's end but then they did the angle to get it right back to christian and so you would think naturally the next storytelling beat is okay copeland's working his way through this cope open he's going to beat all these guys and then he's finally going to get his run with the tnt championship and i i think that's probably the likeliest scenario 
but I frankly love what they're doing with Daniel Garcia right now. And, and I love it so much that I've now just to answer Danny's specific question on who should do it to me, I would have Daniel Garcia win on Sunday. And I think they've built uh, now. Number one, I will full disclosure. I have bet on Daniel Garcia. To, <laughs> it's a small bet. It's only five bucks to win 15 bucks, but I jumped on, he was a plus 300 underdog uh, underdog. But I think, the big thing that's kind of hanging over this match is that uh, March 20th, I think is the date. Uh, um, let me just check the calendar here. So, yes. March 20th, AW is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I anticipate part of the reason why they are not doing Adam Copeland and Christian cage at revolution. And uh, again, full disclosure, I'm calling these out, guys out again, but Ricky Hart was the first one to mention this to me um, that, his prediction was that they would be able to do Christian Cage and Adam Copeland in Toronto as the main event of that Dynamite. And once I saw them go to the Daniel Garcia match, I'm like, you know what? This is They're holding off on not doing that match at Revolution because I think they're going to do it in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, how do you do this finish? And I think there's a couple of different possibilities. One is that you could just have Christian beat Daniel Garcia and he retains, and then you do the TNT uh, title match against Adam Copeland at uh, in the Toronto show. But what I would do is I would have, you've set up this angle where they've done the concerto to Adam Copeland. He's out on the shelf right now. That's kind of the part of the storyline reason of why he's not wrestling the Christian Cage. You could do an angle at the show where he comes back, he helps Daniel Garcia, beat Christian cage, Daniel Garcia, the young guy is helping is being put over by being part of this bigger feud with Adam Copeland. And then you could still do Copeland and Christian in Toronto just without the TNT championship, but there's still the grudge there because Copeland has cost Christian the TNT championship. Um, So that's the way I would do it. My long winded answer is I would have Garcia go over at revolution. Um, You give him the rub that he needs. I think he's set up, perfectly to be like a weekly fighting champion um, with all his great and competitive matches that he's had now for several years. And then you can still go to Copeland and Christian in Toronto as the main event of that dynamite show um, in, I guess, three or four weeks or whenever it is from now. But what do you think? Who, who, who would be the ideal person? It doesn't have to be Garcia. It doesn't have to be Copeland necessarily. um, But who are you thinking in terms of answering Danny's question here? I hate that he asked this question only because right before it, I was thinking like, I was thinking to myself, you know, like, what would I like to see? And I'm thinking like, man, I want Daniel Garcia to win the title. And then he asked the question like, fuck, he's going to think it's such a cop out. <laughs> but the pr- the promo he had this past yeah. week on Dynamite, he showed so much fire in that promo that like, I was all aboard the train. I was like, hell yeah, strap him up. Because like when he's talking, he's like, basically just saying like i'll put you in the ground right next to my dad i'm like holy shit yeah so like he is such a good promo he is he is an absolute future top guy because he can do he can do everything and he was he sat under the eddie kingston promo learning tree when they were working together a little bit this guy can fucking promo he's got Mm -hmm. everything he's going to be a top guy Mm -hmm. there's no question in my mind and you're totally right to put over that promo. And you know, TK loves Danny Garcia. So like, hell yeah. So I hate that I'm 
picking the same person. But after that promo, I was like, I think that they should strap him up immediately because it would also be a change of scenery for the TNT title, which it yes. hasn't really had that since Darby had his run like beginning of last year, it seems. So I'd be okay with Garcia winning and exact same vein as you saying with Copeland and Christian in Toronto. The only difference is for that, I would have it as the main event and I would have it as an unsanctioned match. Because then that way you could get away with doing a little bit more. You could have Christian lose to Copeland, but still not like affect the rankings. And they can kind of do a little bit more, put on like a really big spectacle, a big blow off type uh, batch of this feud. I like that too. And the other thing about Danny Garcia winning is that you had that very rare no contest finish to the Garcia Copeland match on Dynamite in a way that now. Like if Copeland comes back and, you know, let's say Killswitch and Nick Wayne are trying to interfere, Copeland comes back to even the odds, and then Daniel Garcia gets the win over Christian, where there's also now the built-in story of somewhere down the line, you can go to Copeland and Garcia mm-hmm. for the TNT championship because they had that essentially um, not a draw, but a no contest in that match. So you have a, a potential other story layer and another future match that you can go to too. And yeah, you mentioned Copeland, and then you could still have singles matches with Nick Wayne, still singles matches with uh, Kill Switch. So like there's three matches right off of there to kind of like bide the time and continue building Garcia up as champion. So that's kind of the mindset I'm going right now is I'd love to see Garcia get strapped up. Um, We have from uh, J1, J6 Events. With Danielson getting set to wind down his full-time career, what matches would you line up for him on AEW pay-per-views for the year? So we've got Revolution, then we have Double or Nothing, and we still have All In, which I think will be the last one for him, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's kind of what they're basing it on. Yeah, I think the timing of when he said, I've got a year of full-time left was right around the first All In. So I'm anticipating that All In is going to be his full-time swang song, I guess. Now, I also don't know if I really believe him. Like, uh, you know, wrestlers fake their retirement all the time. I, 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 he's also been clear that he's not retiring. It's just This is him not being a full-time weekly wrestler anymore. But I love this question from uh, Jay Iggs here. Um, it's such a great question because there's so many possibilities. The other thing too, so Forbidden Door is another show that you didn't mention oh, there. Yes, Forbidden Door. And plus, now I wish I I was thinking about this earlier today, but I got too lazy to actually uh, verify who it was. But I'm pretty sure that there's speculation that there might also be, which could be useful for us for uh, recording in April. Um, that there's rumor of a pay per view April 21st. Um for AEW as well. So they might be fitting in another one in between revolution and double or nothing. Hell yeah. To me, what I would focus on my big one that I would go to is Danielson and will Ospreay at all in. And I think, you know, what a better way to put a stamp and exclamation mark on will Ospreay has arrived and he is an absolute top guy and someone we're going to be building around than for him, for Osprey to beat Danielson in 
essentially his last full-time match. And it's, you know, to me, the best two wrestlers in the world last year were Danielson and Osprey. And so you're, you're making, it's like a match that is legitimately between the two best wrestlers in the world. That's what I would lead to. Seems like they're setting up a rematch with Zack Sabre too, given that they're both one and one uh, after their match earlier this month, Danielson, uh, challenge Saber to a two out of three falls match on neutral ground, potentially forbidden door, I guess is neutral ground because it's, I guess, half AEW and half new Japan. So I'm expecting that's the forbidden door match for those two. It feels like they got to do a Nigel McGuinness match too, to me with how antagonistic Nigel McGuinness is on commentary. Um, Maybe the most natural place would be all in for that, but sorry, I would do Will Ospreay there. So maybe you can figure out another um, instance to do Nigel McGuinness and Brian Danielson. But let me throw it back to you who, and again, you could line it up with a specific pay-per-view or maybe it's just someone that you want to make sure that Danielson gets a chance to work with before he winds down full time. Well, I have four matches that I've kind of plugged in for him. Um, three of them are pay-per-view and one would be a dynamite because I'm sure they will go back there before he officially retires or, you know, retires from a full-time schedule. So, but we'll start off with, um, forbidden door was, oh, double or nothing. So at double or nothing, I would have Danielson and Osprey. So Danielson and Osprey, I'm doing that at, um, double or nothing. That's my by my you know double or nothing match for Danielson um and it kind of coincides with what I have planned for the rest of all in when we get to that but um so double or nothing Danielson Osprey at Forbidden Door I'm doing Zack Sabre Jr. and Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson sorry I mentioned that I'm sure they'll be going back to his hometown at some point and that is when I would run Ryan Danielson versus Swerve Strickland for the AEW World Championship. Then at All In, I am running Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega. So that those are the, the four sort of big ones I have lined up for him, you know, to kind of wrap up his foray as a full-time wrestler. Um, a lot of it has to do with the booking I have in my head for the World Championship, which we will talk about a little bit later. But yep. I figure you're getting banger matches for all four of those. Couple that in with whoever he decides he wants to wrestle on a weekly basis because who the fuck knows? I mean, we're getting some great stuff with him. So yeah, I I'm loving what they're doing at Danielson, whether it's Nagata, Junakiyama, I mean, Hechicero. So like they're doing fun stuff. Give me those four matches. I am content with Danielson. Yeah, let him book his own stuff. If this is what we get, let just let him yeah. keep booking his own stuff. The Hechicero match was so good. I'm glad you mentioned Omega. That's If we don't get that rematch, that would be a pretty big disappointment. That's one of my favorite matches of all time. I remember watching that match. I remember what part of the couch I was sitting on and just mm-hmm. the smile on Danielson's face at that Grand Slam show against Omega. I, I hope they get a chance to do that one again, too. That's a yeah. great call. So I like I feel like you could work with that. With Nigel McGuinness, I'm not sure if he's cleared or what the situation is with that. I would love for those two to have one more go at it. But if we don't get it, which I'm kind of thinking that's the case, then what are we going to do? So that's what I am running with. So I will punch up the last one. And we have 
from Dr. Fruits Are Edible at Fruits Are Edible on Twitter. PhD. PhD player Hayden <laughs> Disease. How would you book the men's world title scene from the Hangman Swerve Joe triple threat all the way to when Okada raises the belt? <laughs> Who's all holding the gold until Okada? And how long are you waiting to strap Okada up? I, I think do one better. I have that, and I have who's taking the title off of Okada. So oh hell yeah! First. No, you go first. You want you, me to go you... first? Okay. Okay, but let me say he. This is what what you call leading the witness here. Uh, Doctor Fruits or Edible PhD is very clearly very keen on Okada being the world champion and is forcing us to book this promotion in a way that ends up with him as world champion. So I see what you're doing here, Doctor. Um, and frankly, I love it. Uh, but I want to. I want Blair to take the. Uh, take the reins here to go first so here are the title the champions we are going to have these are the events they're going to win the titles at so coming out of revolution you're going to see swerve strickland as your new champion he is going to hold that title up until all in when he loses that title to will osprey will osprey will be world champion up until revolution 2025 when he loses to kazushka okada Okada will then be champion until all in 2025, where he loses the title to Kenny Omega. Yeah. Tell me that would not be a fire main event scene right there. All right. That's sick. And I like, I understand that there are so many moving parts because people be like, what about MJF? What about Adam Cole? Well, here, let me, let me interject. Yeah. Fuck MJF and Adam Cole. Too yeah. bad. So sad. They had their chance with the world yeah. title and we got the devil storyline out of it. I mean, <laughs> hey, we're getting Matt Haven on weekly television with Roddy Strong, so it's not terrible, but it's, I'm okay with those two not being near the title again. So. Man, I love the call to do Okada and Omega rematch in front of, you know, at Wembley Stadium again. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a match that is befitting of like a 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. Mm-hmm. So my my call on this, the way I would do it is I'm hoping that Hanger wins the world title um, at Revolution. And I would hold off the crowning of Swerve um, until All In. And so my main event at All In would be Hangman and Swerve. If Hangman, I would have Hangman pin Joe at revolution this upcoming Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so swerve has this built in excuse where he's beaten hangman twice. He's taken him to a draw once. And when he did lose in this three way, he wasn't pinned. This is now the second three way, including the semifinals to the continental classic where he's been in it and has lost, but hasn't been pinned. And to me, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode and you made a great comparison to sting and Ric Flair where to me, Hangman and Swerve should be the Sting and Ric Flair of AEW in terms of their guys that you can are kind of, even when they're not feuding, they are feuding insofar as you always connect them to each other and you can always go back to them. To me, Swerve winning the world title is the big story in this promotion. And if you if Swerve wins on Sunday, I think it's a big moment and it's great and it wouldn't it wouldn't be the end of the world but to me because of how much people are looking forward to to this i would have them wait a little bit more and i would do it at at their big show at all in and so my main event for all in would be hangman and swerve and just make people want it even a little bit more 
in terms of Okada, I mean, it's hard to beat yours. Uh, if Swerve got strapped up, see, my long-term vision was have Swerve win it all in this year, mm-hmm. and then Osprey wins the world title at all in the following year. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, I hadn't really been thinking about when you strap up Okada, but I think from our guy here, Doctor Fruits Are Edible, that you do have to frame, and I have all the confidence in the world that they will. Okada has to be a big star right out of the jump. There's no reason for him not to be. There's no reason to have him in some kind of mid-card feud with whoever. Like, treat him like a big star right from the hop. I think he should be the world champion. But to me, it would be somewhere down the line. I'm looking more long-term in terms of Osprey wins it next year at All-In. And so maybe Okada gets it from him at some point after that. Mm -hmm. Um but man, now I just can't get out of my head the Omega Okada uh, rematch to do that at uh, Wembley Stadium too. So, and the reality is, we're spoiled, right? Like 100%. there's there's an embarrassment of riches in terms of top guys in this promotion. This is the deepest this roster has ever been. If mm-hmm. Osprey, we know is coming in. If Okada and Mercedes are coming in, never even before those guys come in, this is the deepest the roster has ever been, and. Yeah, it's so fun to think about all the different scenarios. And I love the scenario that you laid out there and just fantasy booking in your head, you know, what I think is the best promotion of our lifetime and just a promotion that just knocks it out of the park with these pay-per-views and just thinking about, you know, all the different scenarios that could play out here. So it's it's a fun question to think about. Yeah, I love it. Like there's so many possibilities and like we haven't even talked about Moxley or even Eddie Kingston because there's That's two right. other wild cards in the main event scene. So, I mean, like it's there, it's an embarrassment of riches when you look at the world title scene for AEW heading into the future post revolution, like it is going to be great. Hell yeah. Let's so, jump into revolution. Let's preview this thing. Yeah. Um, there's from what I gather, nine matches, um and surprisingly there's one on here that i think shouldn't be on but it's i'll get to that one so let's start off with um announced this past week we have ftr versus the blackpool combat club in tag team action so this was kind of brought up after their draw on dynamite and you know some shenanigans and everything post-match led us to where we are now where these two teams are going to get a match I do think that this is definitely a we're booking this just so we can get these guys on the show, but I still also have no doubt that it'll be a great matchup. Like, I mean, the Blackpool Combat Club should win in like two minutes and just wrap this up. <laughs> but, <laughs> kidding, kidding. I do like FTR. No, I should. Your your hate on for FTR pops me every time. <laughs> um, so I, I'm I'm leaning FTR winning this one. I'll, I'll give the betting odds as I do um, through each of these matches. So right now, the Blackpool Combat Club are actually the betting favorites. They're minus 160. FTR is plus 120. So I'm actually in... This is updated since the last time I saw it. So in my head, I, I'm trying to remind myself to make a bet on FTR uh, later once we're done um, recording. But I think it's super interesting... Because when I'm trying to think of who might win this match, I'm also trying to think ahead to the Young Bucks and Sting and Darby Allen and how the ending to that match might play with who they're setting up for whoever the champions are after. Or it might be 
uh, a situation where we don't know who the champions are after if Sting and Darby retain in the main event. Um, and so the, the titles might need to be put into a tournament or something. So I would lean FTR. They're in North Carolina, which I think is FTR country. And that's, the, that's why I'm leaning there too, in part because I suspect that they'll want Mox and Claudio to be in the singles pitcher. Moxley is a key guy that I would hook up with Okada r- right away yeah. too. So just, just because I, I assume they want FTR in the tag team title pitcher after this and that Moxley and Claudio, as much as I, I am digging their tag team um, a, a lot, but I'm suspecting they'll want them in a singles role after. So I'm going to lean FTR on this one. Um, is is the uh, Blackpool Combat Club your official uh, prediction for this? I wish it was, but I'm going the same way. I think that they do put FTR over in this one, but it's Blackpool Combat Club doesn't need the win. FTR could benefit from it a lot more than they can at this point, especially with them sort of revitalizing that tag division. So I think FTR is the smart choice, and that's not to say that Blackpool Combat Club is not a good tag team. It's just in the grand scheme of things, FTR is going to be in that division for the long run, whereas these two aren't, where they're more singles guys. So that's why I'm kind of leading FTR. Now, the the one wild card in this is that Cash Wheeler has his legal issue that's coming mm-hmm. up. So he's, I guess, it's going to trial what he was charged with, which I don't know if it was aggra- aggravated assault, I think. Yeah, um, like so that. That, that trial is going to be in May. So there, there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, but that is something potentially that might, if you're Tony Khan, are you going to put these guys over when you have some kind of major potential legal issue hanging over it? To me, that's the only, that's the thing that would give me pause about FTR winning, but I still think there's enough time between now and in May when that might start where maybe you do a young bucks and FTR rematch between now and then. And, you know, that's how you write off FTR off TV while the trial is going on or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm still leaning FTR, but that is a wild card situation to kind of keep in mind. I did enjoy Mox's promo. I think it was on Collision where he made every reference to a gun and shooting that he possibly could. So. <laughs> Mox is the best, man. Oh, he's great. My, my favorite uh, genre of promo is when Mox shits on WWE and puts over AEW. Yeah. Um, it gets me every single time. Because you hear that and then you, you'll still see people online be like, no, oh, he's going to come back one day. And you're like, man, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. why would you possibly think that? <laughs> um, also announced on Wednesday was the Meat Madness match. Um, so far announced, it right now it looks like a triple threat with Lance Archer, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Wardlow. I would love to see even more meat in this match like i think i think it is going to be a three-way i think yeah what i read today was that it's being announced as a three-way and that's that's what it's going to stay at mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure uh, like I'll, I'll take it i mean lance archer has not been on tv nearly as much as he shouldn't and it's surprising for me to say that because when he first debuted i was very cold on him and the run he had but like i'm getting more into him the more we progress with him like the longer his aw career goes Hobbs had a fantastic showing against Sammy Guevara on collision. Like that I, match was so good. I loved seeing the clips from that. And Wardlow has been Wardlow. And I mean, his, his promo on Wednesday was probably the best promo he's cut in his time at AEW. No doubt. He actually no showed doubt about some it. fire and passion, but I'm still like, 
until he does a torture a torture rack props to king kong fundy i'm not going to be fully behind wardlow no matter what they have him out there saying so this is one where like it's his match but like if hobbs won it i would be like fuck yeah let's run with that but i i think that wardlow is going to come out victorious that that promo segment i think makes it pretty obvious that he's yeah. going to win and i'm with you i thought that was the best promo he's ever cut that's his missing piece to me as being a top guy. And, I, you know, previously, I, I the undefeated gimmick worked super well of getting him over. It even had me convinced at one point that he could be a future top guy. But then I think he just got overexposed when you tried to do something else with him and mm-hmm. put him in a promo. But this that was a great promo. He's got he's got to learn how to cut a promo where he's not yelling the entire time. But it yes. worked for that specific one. And to me, it's clear that he's the one that's going to go over and whoever wins in the main event Wardlow will be lined up to be, I think the next one in line, whether mm-hmm. that's at review that might be happening in April or if it's a TV program, I'm also with you on Lance Archer. Like to me during the pandemic, they booked him almost perfectly where they would heat him up for a TNT title match or a mm-hmm. world title match for like six weeks or whatever, give him all this win streak he gets the shot. He doesn't win. He's he's gone for a couple months. You bring him back. You do the same thing again. And that's how you use a guy like that. His his absence is is kind of crazy to me. Like I I think he's got a ton of utility, and I wish that they would use him more here. But ultimately, I think this is just a way to get Wardlow a win on a pay per view to put him on his way to a world title match against whoever wins in, in the world title match at, at Revolution. Yeah, like, because I know Archer's been doing stuff on independence and that, but like, I do think he's been being brought into this one where strictly it's, uh, I mean, you're going to have to take the loss on this one to put Wardlow over, but it's, someone's got to eat the pin, you know, it ain't going to be Malachi Black, so. Um, <laughs> got to get my shots in when I can. The AWTNT championship, we kind of already talked about that, where, I mean, I, I don't know how much further we will dive into it because I, I fully think that this is Daniel Garcia's time. Strap him up and let him run the division for a bit. I think we we covered it before yeah. with Danny's question, and I, I think we're on the same page. This is this is a chance to you know Daniel Garcia's had these highly competitive matches with you know top guys and guys all over the card for years. He, he deserves this, and I think it would be a fresh direction for the TNT Championship where now you can put him in a position where on Dynamite and Collision, he's defending it regularly, and then you can still do the Christian Cage and Adam Copeland blow-off. So it's like you're getting your cake and eating it too, yeah. that you get the TNT Championship on a fresh guy, a guy who deserves it, a guy that the fans have organically gotten behind, and then you still you still get that grudge match with Christian and Copeland. Um. Let's jump to the AEW Women's Championship and then we'll backtrack to some of the other ones. But Timeless Tony Storm versus Deanna Perrazzo. This past week, with besides that, I, I've enjoyed Deanna's run in AEW. I thought the match with Madison Rain was terrible, but it's everyone has a bad match. I'm still very much into this feud. And the same complaint that I have, that we both have, I think, is that like, I like Tony Storm, but the gimmick I feel takes away from her in ring and that it's still noticeable. I mean, it hasn't been as bad the past few weeks, but it's still, it's still there. But I do think that these two are going to have a fantastic match. 
And it's more, I'm more curious heading out of there, the directions for everyone, because I mean, big business is a week and a half afterwards, two weeks. So you have that there. So what are we going to get for Diana? What are we going to get for Tony? And then you still have a whole bunch of question marks in the rest of the division because you have Britt Baker still there. Jamie Hader, when is she coming back? And then, hey, Saray is there too, even though she's not a huge, huge focal point. She is part of the division. And then you still have like the next level of the women's division as well, all vying for that TBS championship. Yeah, there's a ton of kind of uh, hanging stories there. To me, this is maybe the most obvious outcome of anything on the card. Like I I think Tony Storm winning here um, is pretty clear. Mm -hmm. But I'm with you that I've mostly enjoyed this stuff. Tony Storm is hit and miss for me. Like she'll have a backstage segment where she'll get me to legitimately pop and laugh at some kind of throwaway line. And then there'll be another one where it's like so gimmicky and there's nothing funny about it. And I'll be like, okay, well, I wish I would have just skipped that over. And, and, and as you mentioned too, the in-ring stuff is, is kind of the wild card that makes or breaks this. And this is, to me, this is a big match for this character because if this is another example where the gimmick takes away from a world championship match, then to me, that's the gimmick isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I think Mercedes needs to be the focal point of this division. If you're going to give her all this money and, and she should be used to put to me, Mercedes ultimately should be used to put over Jamie Hayter as, you know, the, the, the ultimate centerpiece of the division. Yes. And that's where I expect this is going to go that maybe they'll do something with Tony storm and Mariah may or whatever, but ultimately I think we'll get Tony storm against Mercedes and Mercedes will win the world championship that way, but we'll see, this is going to be one that I'm paying close attention to in terms of, because, you know, Tony storm was one of, you know, a handful that you could rely on for a legitimately good, well-worked wrestling match. And to me, if the gimmick is taking away from that, then it's not worth it. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out on Sunday. A lot. Some of the stuff they're doing with Tony almost reminds me of the Adam Cole MJF stuff in a bit, where like some was good, but then it was just going back to the well too much and like trying to squeeze every last drop out of it. Whereas like maybe you cut back on a little bit of it and it might come across a bit better. Like and sort of in the way where where you say like, yeah, some stuff pops you and then others you're just like, yeah, I could have fast forwarded this. Like you get rid of the stuff you could have fast forwarded over. And I think she comes across even better. Yeah. And you can kind of, I wish they were playing her, you know, she's obviously has, has had some kind of mental break and I wish they were playing it more of like, she's dangerous because of it. And so when she gets in the ring, whatever this mental break is that it, it fuels her to be more vicious or something and there's a way to do it. They're just not, they're just not doing it. And it, it would be the direction that I would go with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, will Osprey versus Kanosuke Takeshita. Give me your thoughts on this, besides it being an absolute dream match and a certified banger of a match. Well, that's my lead on it too. But I will <laughs> say I've I've forgotten to give the betting lines for these matches. Oh, but yes. uh for this one. Will Ospreay right now is the minus 2,000 favorite, and Takeshita is the plus 700 underdog, which those are huge numbers both ways. So give me five seconds to brag here. 
that when I bet on Will Ospreay, he was the plus 150 underdog. So I got oh, plus shit. money on Will Ospreay. It's the <laughs> easiest money I've maybe ever made betting um, other than when I know the outcomes ahead of time. But that's a topic for another uh, another day. <laughs> but um, this, to me, Will Ospreay's got to win. But yeah. when, when I saw the match graphic and the setup for this, I popped so hard. Like this is a guaranteed um a guaranteed match of the night contender if not match of the year contender my question is and i'll throw this to you too what do you kind of think long term for osprey's fit in the don Callis family or how this kind of plays out because in storyline don Callis is going is flying to london so that he can fly back with will osprey for his appearance on dynamite this week and to me, there's got to be some kind of acrimony amongst the Don Callis family here. Um, like, how do you think this shapes out? Is is Will Ospreay going to end up with Don Callis long term? Is it is this going to be the break of where he can break away and maybe do something on his own? Where do you kind of see this playing out? I see that Osprey stays with the Callis family for. The foreseeable future. I think Takesh is going to be the one slowly on the way out. And I think Osprey stays there until Mark Davis is healthy. That's when you see Osprey and Ozzy Open break off and form the mm. Empire in AEW. Because wow. Davis is still off for a little bit. Kyle Fletcher's in the Callis family. So then I'd see you have Osprey just peace out with those guys and they run United Empire oh, in AEW. I can't believe I hadn't thought about that. That yeah, that's the natural that yeah, Osprey can take Fletcher with him. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, shoot, that makes all the sense in the world. And Fletcher's dealing with visa issues at the moment, which is why he hasn't been around. But, right. Because I'm like, where the fuck is this guy? He had a great match at the ROH pay-per-view, and then you don't see him. And he's got he's top guy potential too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do want to see Ozzy open back together and and I know you've You've talked about this a lot in the last few episodes of just getting the tag team division back to, you know, its peak in terms of what it can be. And Ozzy Open could be if if we get the Young Bucks back with FTR and Ozzy Open, get Phoenix and Pentagon back mm-hmm. together. You know, it could be an absolute incredible tag team division. But yeah, that's a that makes all the sense in the world to have it play out like that. And Osprey, they're giving him all the money. Like you, he's got to be a centerpiece too. There's no excuse to not have him and put him in a position where he is in that world title picture. If not right away, then at least treated like a top guy. And I, I have the confidence that he will be framed that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure we're both taking Osprey in this one. So, (laughs) um, here's the one where I don't need this match on the card. Because I wanted this to be the main event of Supercard of Honor in a few weeks when they run WrestleMania weekend. Eddie Kingston and Brian Danielson. I I will love the match. I think I will think it'll be an incredible match and I will enjoy every second of it. But in my head, I had this pegged as the main event mm. on WrestleMania weekend for Supercard of Honor and it being the match that everybody talked about the entire weekend. But man, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, they so could have done that. That's the one complaint I have with this match. Other than that, I've loved everything they've done with it. The promos have been incredible. The way Kingston has been building it up, his training with Cesar uh, Bononi on Instagram yeah. that they've been posting. I saw that. Yeah. 
And then you have Danielson, who's just systematically taking out all of his heroes along the way, beating up Eugene Nagata, facing off against Junakiyama. Like, I love everything about this. It has been fantastic and just like a pure craftsmanship when it comes to professional wrestling. What are you, what way are you leaning for the result of this? I, I think Kingston keeps the championship. I don't think it benefits Danielson at all to hold it unless he drops it at Supercard of Honor to Kingston. You give him a month run as the champion and then Kingston wins it back. That's the only way I would have Danielson win. So the betting odds right now, Kingston is the favorite slightly at minus 150. Danielson's the plus 110 underdog. I, I bet on Danielson. My thinking was a couple of things in terms of the result. One was that in the same way that I was pounding the table for Sting to be the tag team champion, if I'm Tony Khan, I want Sting to be in my title lineage in this company. and I want Danielson to win a, t- a championship mm-hmm. too before he leaves or has done his full-time run. And I think in in the same way that Kingston is perfect to be a guy that can wrestle in other promotions and new Japan specifically, but defended in ring of honor too. Like Danielson has that kind of, he, he's the same kind of mold of a guy that you could send him to any promotion in the yeah. world and defend this title. So that was, kind of, yeah. And I was thinking that too. And maybe, you know, he can go to CMM, uh, CMLL, which he is going there later uh, in March as part of a tag team, but he could go there and defend the title. The other thing that just got my antennas, um, a little raised about Danielson maybe winning is that the Battle of the Valley show, uh, Kingston and Gabe Kidd wrestled to a time limit draw, yes. which seemed like it was an obvious setup for a rematch with the Continental Crown Championship on the line. But they have since announced that the follow-up New Japan Strong match for them is that it's Team Kingston against Team Gabe Kidd. And so to me in my head, I thought, isn't it interesting that they aren't just doing a one-on-one match rematch with these guys with the title on the line and they're doing a tag team or a multi-person gimmick instead. So to me, that just kind of raised my antennas of, well, maybe they're uh, putting that match together because Kingston isn't going to be the champion by the time. I think it's the, it's either the Windy City Riot show or the one in California. I assume it's the Windy City Riot show that they're booking that for. I should have double checked that. So to me, so anyway, I, I put a little money on Danielson. That's the way that I'm leaning. But the stipulation too, which I love, I, and I'm with you 100% on how this has been booked. It's just, it's such, it's a continuation of a story that they told two years ago with Danielson and Kingston the first time they hooked up of Danielson just cannot wrap his head around respecting Eddie Kingston for all the wasted kind of potential that he's had. Mm-hmm. But the stipulation of this match, in addition to, to the championship being on the line, is if Kingston beats Danielson, Danielson's got to shake his hand. And I could see if you're going to do that stipulation, it makes more sense for Kingston to win and then having to do the handshake or having to do some kind of angle with it. So we'll see. I don't feel great about my bet as great as I did at the time when they added that handshake stipulation to it. It made me think, okay, well, maybe maybe it's not going to play out like I thought, but um, we'll see. There's a Frankly, there's a ton of unpredictability in the match results to this pay-per-view, and and that's the way that it should be. It, it makes it more fun 
to where you can be like, you know, I think Christian could win. I think Daniel Garcia could win. I think Kingston could win. I think Daniel Sin could win. I honestly think anyone in the world title match, which we'll talk about here in a couple minutes, could could come out with the title. Like there's a ton of unpredictability. You know that the matches are going to be good, but you also have some question about what the results are going to be. And and I think that's part of the appeal to the show, frankly, is that there's a ton of unpredictability here. Yeah. So we've got three matches left. Yep. We have for the AEW International Championship, Orange Cassidy versus Roderick Strong. Tell me why Orange Cassidy is going to win or why Roddy Strong is going to be the new champion. Well, the betting favorite is Roderick Strong significantly. And it, ha- it the, the line that it is right now has been the same line since they posted the match. Roderick Strong is a minus 700 favorite. Orange Cassidy is a plus 400 underdog. I put five bucks on Orange Cassidy. Um, I, I'm hoping Cassidy wins. And I know you're a big Roddy fan, and I, I like him too. But to me, other than the Wardlow promo on Dynamite last week, all, all of the undisputed and, – and the Orange Cassidy-Matt Taven match was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. So they have won me over in, in little spots here and there. But it's like it's running on the fumes of the devil storyline. And to me, I would keep the the title on Orange Cassidy and let him just do his baby face fighting champion run. Just because, I mean, I know it's not going to happen because they're obviously going to keep this Undisputed Kingdom storyline going until MJF comes back. But I honestly just want, I want it to go away. And it's, <laughs> it's just, a, it's reminding me of the devil stuff. And to, to me too, and I, I know we've talked about it on here a few times and even before we had the show and I was coming on the Grainmaker show where we've talked about the build to AEW pay-per-views and some of the criticisms of it. This one to me, the announcing this match like six weeks ago or whenever it was, it felt out of place to me in part because Orange Cassidy's gimmick is being this fighting babyface champion and then you're locking him into this match so far ahead of time where then the matches that he has after that the decisions are like there's not a real um, big question about the outcome. So it, it, it's just weird to me that they've had this match locked in for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to lean one way or the other, I, I know I, I bet money on Orange Cassidy, so this will sound dumb, but I, I do think that Roderick will probably win. But I just thought the odds were too good on Orange Cassidy mm-hmm. to pack to uh, pass up the chance to make a little scratch, but I'm hoping Orange Cassidy wins. But I, if I had to lean one way, I would say Roddy's probably the uh, international champion coming out of this. Like I, I mean, truth be told in 2023, I thought Orange Cassidy's um, international championship run was, I mean, one of the best runs we have seen as a champion in a long time, because it was a weekly basis. He was putting on these incredible matches so if we can get back to where that is, I would I'd fully be into him retaining the title just as, so we can continue this on, you know, like, because with the new partnership with CMLL as well, like there's matches there that could really do some big numbers. Like, cause you're telling me like orange Cassidy versus mystical wouldn't be a fun match. Oh, like, man. So there's stuff there, but in the same vein, it's like, well, how long are we going to continue this on with orange Cassidy? So it might be time, and I'm not just yeah. saying it because I like Roddy Strong, but it might be time for him to win. It would add a little bit more to that group, which has kind of floundered the past three weeks or so. 
And I completely agree. Announcing that matchup four weeks ago is it, it took a little bit away from the match. If you ask me knowing that that's what it was going to be so far back. Mm-hmm. So, cause they've had to fill six weeks of storyline of, you know, Oh, this member of the undisputed kingdom is going to go for the title or this guy. Right. You know? So it's, not the best use of it, but I'm still going to love this match for everything it's going to be. I think it'll be a great match too. And and I think, you know, if you want to put some heat on the Undisputed Kingdom, giving them a championship as part of their their roster there makes some sense. And I, I can see wanting to do something a little bit different with Orange Cassidy too. Um, makes sense too. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see how it shakes out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another one. Uh, you know, as, as much as the odds are more in favor of Roderick Strong. That's another one where I'm like, really, it's it's more of a 50-50 to me. Yeah. Um, are you you're going with orange? You're gonna take Roddy. I've got money on orange, so I'm gonna say orange. Okay. Um I'm I'm gonna take Roddy with this one, but no matter who comes out champion, I'll be content with it. So that's it's kind of nice when you're seeing a match and like that's the mind frame that you have with it like because you know that you won't be disappointed with the finish unless fucking goldberg shows up and spears them both <laughs> through a table so yeah hey, I, I would actually like that if that happened <laughs> you'd pop um for the AEW world championship samoa joe versus hangman adam page versus swerve strickland um through the mailbag i think we've sort of answered mm-hmm. this question um, yeah, I'm you're just, you're leaning Swerve. Yeah, I, I'm leaning Swerve and Swerve pinning Joe, so that it leads to Hangman still having a leg to be like, "Hey, I you didn't pin me, I deserve a championship match," right? And which you could run whenever, whether it's double or nothing, whatever. But I do think that Swerve walks out as champion. I also think that Joe has done an incredible job with that championship, completely making me forget about MJF's reign, especially the last couple months. So a huge props to Joe for what he's been able to do because he he worked wonders with that title and he only had a handful of matches. So this is one where again, if you told me any three of these guys end up as world champion after this match, I could see it go in any scenario. Yeah. And uh, betting wise, Joe is a heavy heavy favorite at minus seven hundred. Swerve is plus four hundred underdog. Hangman is plus 1,000. So I put 25 bucks on Hangman that pays out 250 if he wins. The the one uh, thing that we didn't mention before that we probably should is the angle at the end of Dynamite last week with Hangman's ankle. And he played that. Um, I remember I messaged you and I was like, what the, what the hell's going on with Hangman's <laughs> ankle? And please send me this Fightful Select report about um, whatever the follow-up is. But the initial reporting that night on Wrestling Observer, Alvarez and Meltzer were talking about how it might be a a legitimate broken ankle. Mm -hmm. It's since come out that, no, it's just, it's a storyline. They're working the ankle because there's something potential. There's a potential. um, Conflict, I think. Yeah, with, there's something personal going on in Hangman's life where he might have to miss the show. But as we're recording this, it's still the three-way it's possible that hangman can't go to the show for whatever this reason is. Mm-hmm. It's not injury related. It's something else. So maybe it ends up being Samojo and swerve. I guess we'll see how it plays out, but as we're recording, it's still the three way and I could see it going anyway. Um, 
And any outcome, honestly, you could justify it to me. I, I wouldn't be disappointed. I can understand those who still want Joe to get a longer run than he's mm-hmm. had. Um, and I, the, the, all the momentum in the world behind crowning Swerve as the world champion, it feels inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. And like I said before, my, my, uh, what I would go with is Hangman winning the world title, pinning Joe and having, you know, the eventual setup of a one-on-one Hangman against Swerve uh, for the world title down the line. Yeah, I do think we get that in a few months' time. It just depends who's champion and who's challenger, but I think that's inevitable coming out of this storyline. And it's funny to think, like I, like, I as well would be happy with either three of them, like, with this match, but, like, I definitely have a preference for, like, where they fall. Like, Joe walking out as champion would probably be my least favorite out of the three options, but if he did, I would still completely be into it. So it's, they have done a great job booking a card where unless everything just dramatically falls apart at the last minute, this is going to be a card, one of the best cards in AEW history, if you ask me. I think so too. The one other X, X factor quickly we'll mention here before we talk about the main event, and this connects to the main event. Would you have any level of hesitation as a booker of switching your world title in a match that's not the main event of a pay-per-view um, would let's say for example do you want swerve's crowning moment to be on a match that's underneath the tag team title main event would that change anything for you is that would that give you any level of hesitation to do it that way no if anything i think it would add more fuel to some of the fire like potential feuds coming out of that with because you know hangman's history with the young bucks so there would be heat there i think like you could work that in as well you could work it in if you know the mogul embassy is vying for the tag titles you know so like i think there's ways to work that in and i don't think it would take away from swerves or hangman's victories you know if they were to win the titles so i'd be okay with that and i think it would work especially considering the circumstances of this being sting's last match that like any other time it would be the main event right and but this kind of takes precedent over it well let's talk about the main event baby this is it yeah my evps (laughs) the the greatest tag team in the world the young bucks taking on sting and darby allen the tag team champions. I love the fact that Sting will have his name in the record books as tag team champion. I think that goes a long way to reinforcing the impact he had in wrestling and also establishing, like putting his name in the lineage of the titles as well is a huge benefit for everyone involved. Um, Okay. With this match, they've done a great job you know, with the angle a few weeks ago where, you know, Sting and Darby won and out come the Bucks in their white suits. Was so they, good. They end up getting covered in blood, you know, debuting the EVP trigger. Everything that they have done just to become these detestable heels that, like, it gives people a reason to actually, like, hate on them, but then still in the same vein be like, they're really good at what they do. That is crucial to this match. And I think that they have done such a fantastic job encapsulating all of that. And even with this past week with like whatever it is that they were doing with Ric Flair, like just adding another wrinkle to this. 
I'll be disappointed if Flair doesn't eat a super kick at some point during <laughs> Revolution. But what are you feeling heading into this match? Because I've rambled too long. No, I've I've loved the booking of this. I I was banging the table. Um, maybe it was even in our first episode when we talked about Sting announcing his retirement. Of that, my dream scenario would be that we have everyone in the Greensboro Coliseum fully behind. Like, let's not split the audience and have it a baby face, baby face match. We've got young bucks going full heel. Everyone in that arena will be screaming their lungs out for Sting and Darby Allen to win and the first Sting to get a win in his last match and to go out as a champion. And so I just love the setup. I love the angle. Sting's promo last week on Dynamite give, gave me chills. It's given me chills thinking about it of him, you know, talking about the death of his dad and bringing that into the story and how the Young Bucks attacked his kids and uh, the Young Bucks making it personal and how the Young Bucks are now in for a fight um, of their lives. And I just, I can't think of a better Sting promo in his career. And to just think that this guy is doing his best promo work of his entire career on the cusp of retirement. And he's going out with the guy that he says is his best tag team partner of all time against the tag team that you and I both think, I, I think anyway, are the best tag team of all time yeah. with the titles on the line in his retirement match and the main event of one of the most stacked pay-per-views that AEW has ever done. To me, this is the perfect send-off for him. Uh, Betting-wise, Young Bucks are the favorites at minus 300. Mm -hmm. uh, Sting and Darby are plus 200 underdogs. When they first posted the line, uh, Sting and Darby were plus 500 underdogs. So I put a little, I think I put five bucks on them. So I could see it honestly playing out either way. I'm not quite sure. I know we talked about in our last episode that we thought it would be a battle between the Young Bucks and Sting to argue over who was going to put over the <laughs> other. Um, the, the cleanest, kind of easiest finish is just the Young Bucks go over, and that seems to be where the betting is right now. And then you don't have to do some kind of tournament or whatever to figure it out afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I know, and not just because I have the money on the line, but when I'm sitting in my living room on Sunday night, I am going to be screaming for my guy, Sting, the legend, the icon, to get one last win and to go out on top and all the pomp and circumstance. Um, but I don't know. It's another one. Talked about it before. It could go either way, and I wouldn't be shocked um, either way. Um, I think this is perfect booking by AEW. This should be. I'm a little bit worried about the crazy shit that Sting might do in his last match and like hurt himself. But I think the Bucks are the perfect guys. They're going to bump all over the place. They're going to be so jacked up to have this great match with Stinger on his last one out. Um, you mentioned Ric Flair too. I know it's tough because Ric Flair has been canceled and he's a piece of shit. Yeah, 100%. But, but that promo, I thought kind of the understated nature of it and just it, it fit everything that they've told the Ric Flair's debut in the company was like, Hey Sting, I want to be with you on this ride the whole way. And then those first couple of weeks, he was almost overshadowing Sting's retirement with all the attention that he was getting. And now he's, he has been off TV for like four or five weeks. And then he comes back and has this, you know, promo where um, he says, you know, like I thought I'd be a bigger part of this and it all kind of, from a reality perspective, like it fit and he, it, he did a good job delivering the promo. And so now we'll see, like, he's going to be aligned with the young bucks. Is he like uh, someone who's actually going to turn on the young bucks? And this is all part of like sting and Darby's plan. Is he going to be turning on sting one last time? We talked about the sting and Ric Flair feud before, like I could see this going in a bunch of different directions. And I know it's hard to kind of get behind 
an angle that Ric Flair is involved in because he's a fucking piece of shit. But if you're gonna use, but if you're gonna use them, like I, I thought that angle was was successful in what it was aiming to do last week, and it does have me intrigued in terms of how is Ric Flair going to play a potential role in the outcome and, and how are they going to use them? So it does add another layer to this match. And anyway, I'm, I'm so pumped for this. We we've both rambled on this. I know we're both super excited for, for this match and uh, um, couldn't really ask for anything else for, from Singh's retirement than this. Cause no matter which way you go, I mean, if you have the young bucks winning the titles, I mean, Sting is still going to get his flowers post-match, you know, because you know, the crowd is, going to rain praise on him for quite a while afterwards. So you could have the Young Bucks win. You could have Sting and Darby win and then relinquish the titles, do some sort of tournament, which with the way they're rebuilding that tag division could also work. So, I mean, there's some, there's options. It doesn't have to be so like, oh, the Young Bucks have to win. Like coming out of revolution, like they do have things they can do. Um, I'm also curious as to what sort of use Ric Flair will be in AEW after this because mm-hmm. he was tied so closely to Sting. And then, I mean, yeah, we haven't seen him the past five weeks or so. So will he still be around afterwards? I'd be okay if he's gone. So it's I, I'm just very curious as to what's going to happen after this match. Me too. And he was publicly compl- or campaigning to be teamed up with Andrade and now Andrade's gone. So what kind of role he's actually going to play? I'm, I'm curious too, if it, it might just end up being, you know, the very occasional appearance and the sponsorship with the woo energy thing keeps going. And I, 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 I it's hard to see really how he fits. So I'm mm-hmm. curious about that too. Look, if you're going to have to do the woo energy bullshit, throw it on rampage because chances are, I'm only watching one match of rampage anyways. So let's, I'd be okay with that. Me too. Um, if you have to make a pick, who are you taking for this match? I'm going Stinger. I want wow. nothing, nothing, nothing appeals to me more. And it's probably because I'm an old man now of the old gunslinger in his last shootout going out on top in a blaze of glory. And I just, as, as much as I love the Bucks, I'm when I'm sitting there six beers deep on a Sunday night with some chicken wings and pizza shoved down my mouth and, you know, maybe a joint or two or whatever, I'm going to be just like yelling uh, for Sting to get one more win. So I, I just, I can't, I can't cheer against him. I'm, I'm going with Sting and Darby. Even if the betting um, odds aren't with me necessarily, it seems like the young Bucks are what most people are going for, but I'm, I'm going to go with Sting and Darby. Where, where are you going? Uh, I'm taking the Young Bucks, and I will also proclaim that this will be Sting's first five-star match in over 30 years. Oh, can't wait for the discourse oh, on the Meltzer rating. Hell yeah, especially the fact that like when you look at this card, there's four or five matches that he could easily put down as five stars. So Easy. Like, let's go. Um I'm very hyped up for the card. I know you are too. I'm sure we'll be chatting about it throughout the night because, hey, I'm going to pop a couple edibles and just very much enjoy this show. So um, I think that does that's about it for this month. Um, for those listening, you can find me up on Twitter, Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast. Search that, you'll find me. I think it's Grainmaker Pod, but um, all social media, that's what it is. Um, 
emails, you can send those to us. It's chillingwithjrnblair at gmail.com. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, you want to get your question for the next mailbag, that's where you can do that. Where can the people find you? At Jay's Retro on Twitter. Uh, it's Revolution Week, baby. Let's go. I'm pumped. Yeah. So for JR and myself, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. We will talk to you soon.